seems like it's really far away, but honestly, it's going to get here really soon. So, uh, so do mark that down on your calendar. I have a, a good friend who has now planted two churches in Puerto Rico and is really organizing efforts to help this one particular area and neighborhood uh, on the island that just hasn't had much help at all, that has been devastated for quite some time. And so we get to go and help and lock arms together and serve together, and it just so happens to be on a Caribbean island. It should be uh, lots of fun. I hope that you come. Well, we are going to turn our attention, if, you, if you're looking at your bulletin this morning, uh, it's, it's got one scripture passage listed and uh, the name of somebody that's not my name who's supposed to be preaching. Uh, I actually, this weekend, was leading a retreat for a group of young adults from Austin and San Antonio uh, out in the hill country, and John Trapp, who was supposed to be here preaching, texted me and said, I got the flu. Uh, so... I squeezed two talks into one talk last night and made it home last night so that I could be here with you. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm able to be here with you. But I'm not going to be looking at that scripture. We're actually going to be looking at a scripture from, from the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 7. Excuse me, chapter 6. <clears throat> no, chapter 7. Chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 36. This is an account of Jesus dealing with uh, a couple of different people. One is kind of the classic insider, and one is the classic outsider. And those words that Matt said earlier about the church being a hospital are really, really pertinent to this passage. So uh, keep that in mind as we read. All right, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she had learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, Say it, teacher. Jesus said, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other owed him 50. When they could not pay... He canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for um, for your word, and particularly even for this uh, wonderful example of how you move toward us. Lord, for this wonderful example uh, of need, 
that is displayed. We ask, Lord, that you would increase our understanding of our need for you this morning. We ask that you would open your word to us that we might see Jesus and see him more clearly. We pray it all in his name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever kind of had uh, a moment in your life where you came to a deeper understanding of something that was lacking in you. I had such a moment when I was probably 11 or 12, I think. I can't remember the exact date, but I remember the circumstance very well. We were at a birthday party. And we were sitting around, and uh, whoever's birthday it was, they had already kind of opened the gifts, and, and some of the boys were just kind of hanging around afterwards and talking about life. And the discussion question came up, uh, what's your favorite band or your favorite singer? I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And we started to kind of go around the room, and I remember this guy here uh, said, John Cougar which is what John Mellencamp used to be called. And I thought, that's cool. John Cougar, like, it's a cool guy with a cool name. Good answer. And then they kind of kept going around the room, and this guy here said, my favorite is Def Leppard. And I said, oh, man, even cooler. And we kind of kept going around, and a couple other people uh, said their favorites, and it came to me, and it was my turn. And without missing a beat, I said, Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. And it was really like, as soon as I said it, I was like, I... I regret that. I I wish I could have that back. And it was that moment where my eyes were first opened to realizing, oh, that's cool, and I'm not. It was like the first time I really like had this understanding of like, dude, there's something super wrong with your understanding of what's cool music. Maybe you've uh, had a similar experience uh, getting lost. Maybe it's being lost in your car or lost hiking in the woods or something. Do you know that uh, the the professionals who work at, at the national parks and who work in wilderness areas, the people that go rescue folks who are lost, they will tell you that you have a better chance of being found if you're a child than if you're an adult. Children get found when they're lost more often than adults get found when they're lost. Do you know why? It's because children know they're lost. And a child will actually stay put and yell, Help! I'm lost. And an adult will try to find his or her way out and end up getting deeper and deeper into trouble. That kind of moment of understanding that there's a weakness or a hole in us, that moment of realizing that we are lost, is actually the moment that we are called to live in all of the time as Christians. That's the moment and the feeling and the understanding that we are called to take on as the all the time, every time moment for us. The understanding that we need help. We, if you've been around here very long, you've probably heard me or somebody else say these words, everybody needs Jesus. It's one of our foundational values. One of the principles that we really have built our church on is that everybody needs Jesus. And it's that understanding of our need for Him that is the thing that I think is going to build a healthy church for us. But here's the thing, it's also going to build in us a healthy spirituality individually. 
If you want to know what it means to be a healthy Christian, to live the Christian life in a way that is biblically faithful, to be able to grow in your understanding of following Jesus and of loving Him more deeply, then this is a great place to start. That feeling, that understanding of I have a great need and now I know who's going to fill that need. We're going to talk about this in a few different ways this morning. Uh, and and here's, here's the way we're going to break it down. Is that a deeper need, our understanding of a deeper need, fuels our love for Jesus. So it's a need that actually fuels love for Him in return. That it's a need that also fuels Christian community. Good, healthy Christian community is fueled by a need for Jesus. And it's actually a need for Jesus that fuels uh, our outreach, our evangelism, and our mission. So need fuels love, need fuels community, need fuels outreach. Let's look at that first one. When I say that need fuels our love, what do I mean? Well, in this passage, Jesus actually makes this really clear to Simon, this Pharisee. He tells them this parable. He says, there's a money lender, a rich guy, he lent some money out to two people. It was, both of them, a considerable amount of money. One, a whole, whole, whole lot of money, and one just a whole lot of money. But both of them couldn't pay it back. And so he forgave both of their debts. And then Jesus looks at Simon the Pharisee, who has questioned what Jesus is doing here with this sinful woman around him. And he says, Simon, tell me, who do you think is going to love that man more? The one who forgave his debt. Who's going to love him more? And Simon comes up with the right answer. He says, well, I guess the greater love is going to be for the person whose need was deeper. And what Jesus is very subtly saying to Simon this Pharisee is he is saying, Simon, this woman here knows she needs me. And because she knows she needs me, she has poured out love to me. She has been weeping since I came in here. She has been at my feet and drying my feet with her tears and wiping the dirt off. She has been anointing my feet with this beautiful expensive oil. She has been showing me she loves me. And you know why she's been showing me she loves me? It's because she knows she needs me. And the implication for Simon, this Pharisee, who was a very righteous man probably, probably someone who knew his Bible back and forth, probably someone who was looked at in the community as being a an upstanding citizen, someone whose righteousness really was probably pretty darn righteous, Jesus says to him, there's a reason why you don't love me. It's because you don't think you need me. We can fall into that pattern sometimes as Christians when we think that growing as Christians is growing in some sort of independence. Let me let me uh, see if I can step aside and we get this... Um, this image here up on the screen that I think can be helpful. Some of you have seen this before. The top line is God's holy standard. And then the bottom line really is our life. And usually when we are first converted, when we are first saved, when we first come to understand the gospel of Jesus, we understand that God's standard is really far from where we are. And so what we also understand is that we need something to fill it. We need something to take that place. And we see that it's the cross of Christ that actually stands in that stead. That we are so far from God's standard that we need someone else to do something about it. And it's Jesus on the cross who does that for us. And because of that, we see the cross really big. And we love Jesus really big in return. 
But here's what happens is that oftentimes uh, as we go about our life, uh, we grow and we have this idea that we're going to get better and better. We're going to grow closer and closer to God's standard. And so at the end of the life, at the end of our lives, they'll just be kind of a bigger me. The uber me. Whatever it is, just a better version of who I am that's closer and closer to God's standard. Now, there's some truth about that. Of course, Christians should increase in holiness. God calls us to be holy as He is holy. But the idea you see that's in place here is that I'm bigger and better and in less need because look what happens. If this is true, my need for the cross actually shrinks. And if I am getting better and better and more capable and more independent and I need God less and less because I'm getting closer and closer to His standard, then my need for the cross shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And look look what happens. If my need shrinks, my love for Jesus shrinks in return. There's a second dynamic, though, that needs to be at play for a healthy Christian life. And it's this, is that as we grow, we also grow in our understanding of our own need. We grow in the understanding of our own sin. As, as we come up, you know, each new day, we realize, wow, this thing that's kind of been driving my life for the last two weeks has actually been driving my life for the last 20 years. This thing that I thought was just a little bit of selfishness that came out in the harsh language that I used to my wife is actually deep selfishness that comes out in the nice but really manipulative things that I say to my wife. And we start to uncover those things slowly and we see more and more, oh my goodness, there's more and more nuclear waste here under these rocks that I'm lifting up. You've probably experienced this. The, the, the most mature Christians that you know undoubtedly are the most humble. They are the people who realize their own frailty, who realize their own sin the most deeply. But here's what's beautiful about this. As that increases, look what else increases. Our understanding of our need for Jesus increases. The cross gets bigger and bigger in our lives. And because the cross is bigger and bigger in our lives, our love for Jesus actually gets bigger too. Let me just be really plain. You cannot love Jesus more if you think you need Him less. It's not possible. The equation doesn't work. You cannot grow as a Christian if you are growing in independence. You only grow as a Christian if you are growing in dependence on Christ. A greater need equals a greater love. The more that we see that we need Jesus, the more that we will love Him in return. The more that we will grow as Christians. All right, let's move to that second point. A deeper need does lead to a deeper love for us individually. It also leads to deeper community for us together. The deeper that we know that we uh, need Jesus, the better our community actually functions. Um, Around this time every year, I get really excited because I get to start mowing my lawn. Now, I know that sounds odd to some of you, uh, but for pastors, mowing the lawn is the best thing in the world. Because most of what I do, most of the time, has no tangible evidence. And so, when I mow the lawn, it's the most exciting time in my week. There was long grass, I made it short. I did that, immediate gratification, it's wonderful. But around this time of year, you know, things are starting to bloom, the grass is starting to grow, it's starting to become time kind of for uh, lawn mowing, and inevitably this happens to me every year. 
I get super excited about it. I get the lawnmower out. I go out, you know, I kind of got my lawn mowing clothes on. I've got my earphones in. I'm ready to listen to something. I've got these really stupid looking headphones on to block out the noise. And I give it one crank, nothing. Uh, it's probably just, you know, give it a couple more. Crank, nothing. Crank. After five or six times, I'm like, oh, what happened? My lawnmower's broken. Well, no. In fact, I've actually taken it to the lawnmower repair guy, and the first question he asked is, mm, when did you last run it? Oh, like November, maybe September or October. Did you leave the gas in it the whole time? Yeah. The gas went bad, and it's not running. See, if you've got bad fuel in the engine, the engine won't work. It's the same thing if you tried to put uh, diesel... And your gas engine is not going to work very well. If you have the wrong fuel, the lawnmower won't work and the lawn can't get mowed. Well, the gospel is actually the fuel for the Christian community. And the community of the church as an engine that's supposed to actually create change in the world, that's supposed to, uh, that's supposed to proclaim the good news of the gospel to our neighbors, that's supposed to love and serve the people around us, that's actually supposed to do good in the world. In fact, the Bible says that it's actually God's people who are His instrument of changing the world. As crazy as that sounds. And if that engine is not running on the right gas, something is going to be wrong. The gas that runs the engine of the community has to be founded upon our need. It has to be gospel-centered. And by gospel-centered, I mean we've got to understand that we have great need and Jesus fills that need. If it's something else, then the engine's not going to run properly. Now, here's what's really worse about the church than it is even about this illustration with a, with a lawnmower. If I put bad gas in my lawnmower, it's not going to run. The problem is with the church, we probably can run, we're just going to produce the wrong things. This Pharisee Simon, he had community around him. He was in the synagogue, he was one of the leaders. He's having people over for dinner, it looks really great, looks like he's having church here. Guess what is produced though by the engine of that community? Legalism, self-righteousness, Phariseeism. If we want those things produced by our community, then we don't need to put the gospel gas in there. But if we really want to see love and service, if we really want to see people lay down their lives for one another, if we want to see people grow in their love for Jesus and in following Him, then the gas that fuels that engine has to be the gospel. You can't run on anything else. There's an interesting diagnostic question that I heard just recently about how this idea of our need for Jesus and community kind of go hand in hand. He said this, it's a man named Ed Welch, who's a um, a counselor and and an author. He said, you know, if I were to ask the question, uh, how much do I, how often do I ask God for help? He said, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd say I'd give myself a decent score, maybe a 7, 7.5. I'm pretty good at asking God for help. He said, but if I ask the question, how often do I ask others around me for help? He's like, uh, it's probably more like a two. He said, you know, honestly, if that answer is a two, it probably means that my first answer is not right. Because if I don't ask those around me for help, I probably don't really think I need it from God either. The community that is built on need 
also is the one that can help us understand how we are relating to God. The two go hand in hand. Our need fuels our community. It's got to be that way. Alright, let's look at the third thing. Is that need not only fuels our love for Jesus, uh, our need for Jesus not only fuels the community that we're in, but our need actually also uh, fuels our outreach. It fuels things like evangelism and service to others. I don't know if... uh, if you've ever, well, I pulled up one time to a hotel I was staying in. I was staying at the Hampton Inn. Okay, I was on a business trip. And I'm staying there at the Hampton Inn, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm pulling in, about to go check in, and there is underneath the carport there, parked, ready to, you know, send somebody in to check in at the Hampton Inn, uh, a Maybach. I don't know if you've ever heard of this car before. A Maybach is like the ultra Mercedes. Like, if, uh, if an S-class Mercedes just isn't cutting it for you, then you need a Maybach, okay? This is like the nicest car you could buy. It has heated and cooled and, get this, massaging seats. It has like a little tray in the back, you know, that comes down like you're on an airplane, except that, except on an airplane you, you have like four feet of leg room, and the tray is made of walnut wood that's probably hand carved, and there's a little robot that makes you an old fashioned, and um, there's not a robot, but there might as well be. It's super, super, super nice. I think they run like a base model. If you really want to cheap out, you can get one for about 175. And here's the thing: it's a super nice car. But I was staying at the Hampton Inn. Okay, which is fine. I was staying there. It's a fine place. But Hampton Inn is kind of like a Camry kind of place. Not like a Maybach kind of place. And so it was weird that they were there together. That's the response that Simon has to Jesus. He looks at Jesus and he looks at this woman who is deeply caring for him. And he's got that same response. Man, something doesn't match up here. We've got Jesus who's supposed to be a teacher. We have Jesus who's doing miracles. I mean, we've heard of those things. We've got Jesus who's teaching in the synagogue and teaching with authority. We've got Jesus, the famous teacher who's supposed to be a holy man. And like, what's he doing at the Hampton Inn? With this woman who is a sinner, who's off the street. Those two things don't seem to go together for Simon. Do you know what? If those two things don't go together for us, then we will never reach others. If we think that there's something that divides outsiders and insiders, then we will never actually reach out. But if we actually believe, as Matt said earlier, that we're in a hospital, then it will be the most natural thing in the world for us to reach out to others who are sick. It will be the most natural thing in the world to say to somebody else, Oh, you're sick? Guess what? I am too. We share that same malady. And you know what? The only difference between me and you is I actually know where the doctor is. Do you want to meet him? It's beautiful, isn't it? This is the way that it's supposed to happen. We looked a few weeks ago at a passage in Mark where we saw this man, Levi, who is a tax collector. He meets Jesus. Jesus calls him. And remember what the first thing that Levi does? He throws a party, and he invites all of his tax collector buddies, and he invites Jesus and his disciples. Because what Levi understands is, man, I'm broken. There's something deeply wrong with me. And you know what? All the people that I hang out with, they're all broken too. And so they need Jesus just the same as I need Jesus. I have a great idea. I'll introduce my friends to my friends. 
I'll have a party, a dinner party, and we'll get together, and we'll all be in the same hospital together, and we'll invite the doctor to come be with us. It's the same way that we serve. If we think that we are needy people, then we are not going to be held back from actually wanting to serve needy people. But if we think that we don't need anything, if we think that we've got it just fine on our own, then we're going to probably stand at a distance. Our understanding of our need for Jesus fuels our outreach. It fuels our mission. It fuels evangelism. It fuels service. It's got to be the thing that runs our community. It's got to be the fuel for our lives and our church. Let me just close with, with this question for us. It's, it's kind of a time for us to envision. What would our church look like if we understood our need more deeply? What would be the differences here? What would be the differences in the way that we worship What would be the differences in the way that we get together with each other? What would be the differences in the way that we reach out to others? If we understood more deeply our need for Jesus, how would that change us? And second to that is this. I have a friend who I was talking to many years ago, and um, it was right around Easter. And he was saying, he said something remarkable. He said, you know, every time when Easter rolls around, we read this story, and we read this story of Jesus getting arrested, and we read the story of Jesus on trial, and we read this story of these people that are screaming, you know, we want to crucify him. And Pilate comes up and he says, okay, I've got this man who's a convicted criminal, Barabbas, and then I've got Jesus who's innocent. Which one do you want? And my friend said, you know, every time I read that story, I really think this time they're going to choose Barabbas. This time, they're not going to make the mistake of choosing the innocent man. Certainly this time, they'll choose Barabbas. But he said, every time, it's always Jesus. I thought, what a wonderful thing to keep in our minds. It's always Jesus. Every time, our need is filled by Jesus. His work on the cross on our place. His love poured out for us. The adoption that we have as his sons and daughters. It is always Jesus. That is the foundation that we build our lives, our communities, our church on. That is the thing that's going to make us love Him more. That's going to make us flourish as a community. And that's going to make us reach out to others. Let's pray that He would enable us to do that even today. Lord, we do um, just pause for a second to, to remember how much we need You. To remember, Lord, that without you we truly are lost. (laughs) And all of our efforts to try and find ourselves just get us more deeply lost. We need you to rescue us. And Lord, we pray that that understanding of that rescue would make us love you more in return. Would make us draw nearer to each other and even ask each other for help more deeply. Lord, would make us proclaim your goodness more boldly um, to those around us. Will you work in and among and through us today by your grace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.